Hello. Can, look, I, I'm here. Sorry about that. What, how, how long have I been dithering for? 20 seconds. Oh, dear me. Sorry, audio-only people. You just had radio silence at the start there, which is really good when you're, like, sitting for 20 seconds trying to work out whether the thing is on. Um, <laughs> uh, also, I've, like, mostly forgotten how to do these because it's been weeks since I've done one of these live. Crikey. Oh, uh, yes, hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, how are you all? Are you well? Um, it's about, probably about 45 degrees Celsius in this room, uh, so I'm desperately, desperately trying to breathe. Uh, so I have water. I don't think that's got a big face. Uh, I'm a very, very pink. Look, look how pink and shiny I am. It's roasting in here, and I cannot escape. So I'm, I'm consuming music. Music? It's because I just watched musical notes appear in the chat. I'm consuming water. Keep hydrated, everyone. Also, have you noticed, this is, this is, uh, this has the Derby remodeling their Derby, Derby remodeling project uh, logo there for anyone who's interested when, when you see me drinking out of this bowl. Mm. So, hello everyone. Good grief. Uh, the things, we're going to get through things today and it's not going to be a long one, I hope. Although this is a mighty report that we're going to get through. Well, it's not that mighty. Under pages worth of body. Anyway, we're going to, we'll, we'll see. Without further ado, let's crack on with, um, with the episode. So, uh, hello everyone. It's nice to see you all live. Um, uh, oh, yeah, so, right, back to uh, getting rid of my face. You might have noticed, da 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 there has been a font change. The the, the branding for Railnatter has changed. We've changed from uh, Cavin Sketch to uh, to Appleberry, actually. It's Appleberry. Uh, because, actually, I prefer the font. It shows up far better in thumbnails. Um, it's just a better font. And I think it also looks more me, to be honest. It's got a bit of a more Railnattery me vibe, so... um. Yes, uh, so you can see the the, the, um, the the change. Anyway, right, let's crack on with, with first of all... Oh, God, uh, my Wacom is piled under things. This is a disaster. No. Uh, there we are. I've got it. Here is the coronavirus data uh, as updated. So let's... Uh, right, here we are. No, that's Tim. You don't want to see Tim yet. Uh, right. Oh, golly. So cycling continues to pitch around, kind of up and down... As cycling, uh, road vehicles. So, so to break this down, I check the numbers. So, so road, so cars are between one hundred to one hundred and ten percent, and then uh, kind of everything else. So, so like goods vehicles are between. Uh, they're generally between one hundred and ten and one hundred and forty percent, and it's uh it's mostly between it's kind of more like 130 actually with the old, the odd thing rising between that so that's where road vehicles are uh rail isn't here's rail little blue blue line here rail is at 68 percent uh peak that's that's the that's the kind of the top level it's reached um and uh and also uh buses continue to just sort of trundle along actually uh really disappointed by how rail is going to overtake buses in fact looks to me like it already has which is I have to say, very strange. I wouldn't have expected that, but such is life. So that's what's going on. So the reason this is interesting is because so rail is 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 quite behind. We so not only do we get we get this sort of delayed, weird, projected data that's not quite right. There's a suggestion. There was a suggestion that, um, and I think it's probably because it's a lot of. It's not referring to the whole service, the the, the UK service as a whole, but lots of train operating companies reported that they'd reached over a hundred percent of. Um, 
of of kind of so there, there's a spike up to over 100 percent of of pre-covid levels and actually this isn't a new story because back when was it it was back back around here when i was reporting that the long distance operators west west coast kind of avanti west coast and lner had already been reporting that they were getting largely 100 percent loadings if not more so the long distance operators had already been saying they were getting 100 percent loading so now i think it's probably some of the regional operators and perhaps some of the 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 urban operators that start to bump up against the hundred percent line. Now, if that's happening, uh, I've already tweeted this. If that's happening, that means that rail growth has been massive because there are still about two hundred, uh, about two million people on furlough, and lots of people aren't commuting. You know, lots of people aren't are genuinely not commuting by rail at the moment still because you know uh, companies are still being told to have reduced numbers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or they've decided not to. You know, they decided they're going to do a bit more flexible working. So if we're already bumping up on 100%, that's indicative of, you know, that growth has come from, has not only accounted for the the drop in commuters, but it's, it's anyway, yeah, big numbers, big, big numbers. Um, so uh, don't talk too much about the bingo, folks, in the chat. Let's leave it open for other people making their queries. So, uh, oh, that's a little, little uh, fly walking across there it's very warm and insects love it anyway right so uh, the news tim is back again for series three hooray of the architecture of the railways built um so i'm quite pleased about this for all sorts of reasons uh monday yeah monday the 13th is when we're getting uh so this monday coming is when tim is back uh it's look at this pleased man look at his big pleased face isn't it lovely um i'm very much looking i don't know why i've just drawn an arrow into his ear a bit weird um I'm looking for it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, there are the good thing about the series getting more, more uh, kind of this series getting more run, uh, the, the run getting more series, should I say, is that they get to find their voice a bit. They get to play a little bit with something. They get to focus on things that, you know, the start, you've got to, you've got to hit every note. And it, if you remember, the, the pacing was different in series one because they needed to have the You can't start with low energy on the hope that you've got to start high energy and then you can and then pull back a bit in series two. I didn't really notice until people pointed out, but actually you can um, uh, you can you can you can notice it when you watch it again. And, and the, the the series found its voice. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's wonderful pacing, very informative. Lots of clever, nice people appear, and then also me maybe every now and then. Uh, no, it's good. It's great. It's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I've got to catch up on four episodes of um, of Secrets of London Underground as well because I'm I got behind with going on holiday and things. I've not actually seen uh, Charlie's episode, so I need to really need to catch up. Anyway, right. Enough of that. Tim is back. What else is in the news? Oh, yeah, the Lumo launch date lands loudly. Uh, Lumo is a thing. It's an open access operator. Here is the Lumo logo. The Lumo logo launches and the launch date lands loudly around the Mulberry. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Lumo is a long-distance operator. They A lot of people are saying they're non-stop. I don't think they are non-stop. I think they stop in stupid places so that they don't compete with LNER. So they stop in, like, Morpeth and Stevenage. Uh, and that's it. So they, they stop in a few places, uh, also to make the timetable work, I dare say, but they are fairly fa- I mean, they're not spectacularly fast. I think they're still four and a half hours, but they are very cheap compared to LNER. I have lots of thoughts about open access operators. Uh, generally, my feeling is that they are, they are just, they extract revenue out of the best time. They generally, the reason they make big penny and the reason they charge small fares is because they're running at a time when people really want to travel because they're allowed to do that because they don't have to run outside of that time because they are not regulated uh, or not as heavily. Uh, so they can run in amongst whatever they like. 
So all uh, they're also relying on, on, on the rest of the industry. They wouldn't exist without the rest of the industry, but they don't have to pay their way. So they don't have to do things like train large numbers of staff because they can just rely on an existing pool of staff. They don't have to rely on entirely establishing their own facilities because they can rely on existing facilities. Um, ugh, yeah, so uh, mixed feelings. And also, as other people have been pointing out on the Discord server, we don't need more experiments to show that low fares drive modal share. We know this already. So from my perspective, Lumo are just doing things that LNER should be doing already anyway and probably aren't being allowed to by the ORR. So uh, it's my feelings. I just uh, not not fast. Yeah, none of the Lumos will stop at York. If they did stop at York, then it would become an LNER thing. The ORR wouldn't allow it. So that's why Lumo runs the way it does. But it runs between Edinburgh and, uh, and King's Cross. I realize I've not actually said that. So Lumo, very blue, uh, whatever. Uh, there are lots of big proponents of open access. I'm not one of them. I don't necessarily... Like Nick Kingsley, who I have a lot of time for, uh, is a big fan of open access operators. I... Not so sure. I'm not so sure. And I think particularly in the UK where you have a... Where capacity is limited. Elsewhere where, where capacity isn't limited, maybe there's a bigger space for them. But in the UK, capacity is limited. So it, where these trains are running, they are uh, reducing intermediate stops for other trains. They're getting in the way of, of more frequent services. They're also reducing fair fair box income which is you know useful so anyway nah uh hot weather is a thing it's hot it's really hot i'm melting in here right now it's like 40 degrees um actually the summer's not been so crazy so far uh so look at the the, the met office data here there's a warm patch up in uh sort of uh this part of uh sort of, sort of the southeast highlands uh lots of dryness so so lots of below average rainfall through the through this 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 summer and a, and a bit of more sunshine in scotland and much less in the south you know, it's been hazier in the south but this has actually saved us a bit uh, because uh, hazier weather generally reduces the difference between in the thing which i'm about to put up as a clip from a thing i appeared on this morning apparently um uh less sunshine reduces the difference between ambient temperature and rail temperature which is important for buckling uh, and important for other kind of things like OLE that are absorbing uh, energy from the sun as well directly so uh the hot weather is happening though and it's going to get a lot hotter apparently for the next couple of weeks so uh, we're not out the, we're not out of the woods um but yeah no I, I appeared briefly on um on this morning live this morning live is that what it's called no that's morning live no not this morning morning live i don't it's the version of the one show, uh, but it's in the morning, uh, and I was on it, and I'm about to show you that clip right now. When temperatures rise, rails buckle. They're designed to withstand the warmest weather of the past, but not the hottest temperatures of the future. Engineer and writer Gareth Dennis specialises in transport systems. One of the challenges on the railways is actually as temperatures increase, the steel in our rails expands and so the track can buckle. So in the foreseeable future, what can we do to improve the situation? We can reduce the amount of heat that goes into the rails. Sometimes you'll see that we paint rails white. That's but when to you... reflect the sun. Exactly right, to reflect ah, some of that sunlight. Clever. The other thing we can do is, is data. So better understanding of when hot weather is happening, how it's impacting the rails. So actually like sensors actually on the rails to tell us what the temperatures are. And that helps us send people out to look after the track when we need to, and also understand where we need to maintain or renew tracks, which allows us to, to reduce delays and get more people moving. Uh, my outfit is absolutely hilariously crap. Uh, this I uh, ran to Next uh, on the other side of the river uh, because I just had shorts and I would have looked a bit I would have looked a bit sketchy if I was just in shorts. 
But I also needed to wear something that I wouldn't drench with sweat, which is why I've got that jumper on, also because it was colder in York than it was in London at the time. This is when I was, I was going on holiday, so this was, this was filmed ages ages ago. Uh, and good grief, what an outfit. Anyway, enjoy that. Um, Riyadh interviewing, he's great. He's really good. Um, yeah, 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 look up Riyadh on Twitter. He's uh, He was actually a really good interviewer. He's actually quite technically minded, so he, he very quickly got this technical stuff. We chatted for ages, obviously. That was about 30 seconds of chat there, but... Um, actually, I was talking about all sorts of things, and he got it. We had quite a long chat afterwards, actually. It was nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so there we go. Anywho. Uh, right, who's atting me in the chat? Go on. What's the, what's the chat saying? Uh, yeah, it was the Beeb. Uh, HST trains are saying, why between London and Edinburgh? A uh, Lumo between London and Edinburgh is surely underserved routes would be better. Uh, because they just want to go for the, the, the routes that are um, that they can get high extraction on, and the cross-country is too too congested for them to, to, to make it work. Um, I think that's basically it. So... Uh, ah yes, Highways England has been rebranded. Do you remember, anyone remember the Highways Agency? Well, the Highways Agency was uh, kind of ambiguously named, and also devolution came in. It was like actually this is this is, doesn't doesn't make sense being called Highways the Highways Agency because Wales and Scotland both have devolved power over their roads. So, um, so what 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 did they do? What did they realise they should do? Well, uh, rename it to Highways England. Actually, not an unreasonable renaming because Highways England, apart from the fact they weirdly owned a load of ex-railways up in Scotland, for the most part, highway, their purview is entirely within the, the English border. Um, but because we have a government that uh, is wanting to rename everything to be Britain because Britain, because the, the union, because the, the union is definitely not about to collapse, uh, they've renamed it to National Highways. Uh, there are there's nas- that National Highway, a mock-up, a, a approved mock-up of the National Highways logo there. So, um, yeah, so weirdly, even though they're only in charge of I- I- England, they're calling it National Highways, which, to be fair, you could argue is correct because England is a nation. Uh, but anyway, uh, there we go. Um, so, yes, I, I like the, uh, the, the, uh, the Highways England logo. Yeah, I think the Highways, Highways England looks quite good. Anyway, also, yeah, the Highways Agency logo wasn't bad. Anyway, so there's the uh, the National Highways logo. So, right. Uh, more news, more news. No, there's no more news because we are moving on. We're moving on swiftly because we're going to talk about the transport. Co- we're going to talk about this chap here uh, with his uh, tight moustache. Um, and uh, there we are. Uh, and the, 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 this, this is actually an, an Observer piece that he put out uh uh, the kind of uh, in 1965 uh, by Dr. Beechin, you know, him and the Observer talking about this. Um, maybe I should point out the fact that this 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 logo is a I, I, no, this is a parody. I I used no, I I used it's it's from the 1930s. It, yeah, no, I no, it's a parody, people. This isn't. It's just just in case anyone's hit. No, this is this is I, I shall I shall point. This is a joke. There we are. It's a, it's a joke. Um, I could audio describe it, but um, I don't think I need to. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that, and interestingly, so people talk about beaching. We've done the beaching episode, so you don't need to you don't need to faff on about the beaching's legacy and all this stuff. Uh, particularly, we're looking at the report. We're just p- page turning the report. Um, but I did think it was interesting. The reason I've done it is because people talk about beaching so often, and, and I dare say very few of them, if any of them, have actually read the report. Uh, so this is a chance for you to drop in, save you going to the Railways Archive and downloading it yourself. We're not going to pay, read every word. What we're going to do is fl- is do the standard page turn where we flick through, focus on certain paragraphs of interest, try and pick out useful stuff, uh, try not to take too long. Um, and uh, yeah, so this, this, this little poll on, on the Twitters showed that 85% of people have not read the report. Um, 85% of 466 people, it's not a particularly representative uh, thing. But anyway... Um, 
CNER getting a... Oh, yeah, the campaign to, for North Israel is getting a fe new feasibility study to put your head in the Scottish programme for government is news. That's true. Oh, so too is the SNP Green Party collaboration. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Um, the SNP and the Green Party, the Scottish Greens, not the Green Party, sorry, the Scottish Greens are, are in... Uh, are, the Scottish Greens are in government. And their rail plan is getting put in. I forgot about that. Sorry, I did try to write down news things, but I, uh, I was, um, yeah, I was on holiday, wasn't I? Uh, good point. Thanks, uh, Jordan Jack. Uh, very, very good prompt. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that maybe next. Remind me, and then I'll talk about it next time. Anyway, right. Enough of me waffling. Let's get cracking, shall we? Yeah, welcome to tonight's rail natter, everyone. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so um, so total UK track length. Let's start with this graph because everyone's like, oh, beaching, you know, blah, blah, blah. So first of all, let me uh, let me change the color of me, me doodad. Uh, change it to uh, change to white. There we are. Uh, I did that gag last time for the for the previous beaching uh, episode, didn't I? Uh, actually, that's again, that's that's me singing in. Uh, is it? Uh, I think it is. That's me singing in that somewhere. Anyway, right. Enough of that. Here we are. So you can see uh, where are we? Nineteenth end of the war uh, is here ish and. There's already been a bit of a contraction of the of the network, uh, and then this stuff happened in the middle of the 20th century, and then it stabilised by the early 80s actually. But we still have this is a this is a statistical error. I don't I don't still still have not worked out what this is. Uh, I, I don't know. Actually, the ORR. I need to get the ORR on. I have not forgotten the ORR. If you're watching, I need to get you on, and I need to find. Unfortunately, I've lost I, my DMs are weird. Twitter DMs are bad. I, I, I'll get back to you. Don't worry. So. Um, so there's this tremendous drop in, in trap mileage, and everyone just associated that with beaching. We've 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 done this. We've been through this already, right? We've we've been through this, um, and people call that the beaching cuts, and they call it the beaching cuts without any idea what that means. They just call that. They just generically refer to this as being uh, the beaching cuts. We've we've established this, right? Uh, and we we talked about this in the beaching episode with uh, Doctor DT. Uh, to, to we kind of went through it in pretty hefty detail. Uh, we may do another. I, I expect there to be a beaching two episode because there's always more to explain. Um, it's uh, yes, it's it's uh, yeah. It was a good. I enjoyed this episode. It was good, uh, and it's yeah. It explains the complexity. And actually, it's worth probably. I didn't put the image up, but it's worth going back to the uh, to the freight episode. Um, uh, the the recent what happened to all the freight episode that we had. That's probably worth putting in. Um, actually, I've updated all the title cards. I should have used the new font, shouldn't I? Anyway, never mind. So, ultimately, that episode concluded. For everyone to stop bloody referencing beaching. Stop saying beaching. Referring, don't do it. Just cease that. Um, so, uh, Pete Johnson is saying it's probably a fix fixes to Joggis uh, as a result of uh, data quality review. Yeah, yeah probably. It's a, it's a very good point. Um yeah, probably just a load of assumed lines that actually they realised they, they 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 didn't exist anymore and they had to statistically get rid of them. But actually, they'd been it might have been a, a classification of bullhead track that's got stuff growing through it, and it was just a decision made that actually will stop counting that as viable track anymore. Anyway, uh, beaching two just when you thought it was safe to go back to the station, uh, David Shepard. Yeah, that's exactly what the beaching two episode will be. Anyway, I'm, I'm dithering already. Stop referencing beaching. We we concluded that, but. 
we, we, we didn't go into the details of the report. And I think there's a lot to be... Here's, uh, here's Marples, by the way, everyone everyone's favourite baddie. There's Marples. There he is. Um, there's a lot to be said for actually going through and looking at the damn thing. Uh, there's there's beaching as well with this... Uh... Oh, I haven't brought my miniaturised face up. Let's, let's do that. I'm up at the corner. Very, very warm. Um, so... Uh, could the drop be something to do with conversion to light rail, e.g. Metrolink? No, I don't think so, because the light rail doesn't account for that much, and it was more gradual, actually. Is there an approved euphemism for beaching? Well, yeah, just say reductions in network length during the 20th century. Just don't call it the beaching cuts, because they weren't the beaching cuts. They, they were reductions in rail, that, like the, the, the contraction of the British rail network through the middle of the 20th century. Um, that's, that's just... We don't need euphemisms. Uh, everyone's booing and hissing at marples, but to be honest... It's pretty much not guilty either, really. And we'll get go and watch the episode for for, for why anyway. So there's there's uh, there's Richard, there's uh, Dickie Beeching. Um, what is the chronology of all this? Because that's a key thing we need to look at. So the chronology of all of this story of the Beeching report of the, the, the reports. Um, actually, there were two reports, and we're going to get to that point uh, briefly. So this was all instigated by. We need to get the pen number up. Uh, oh, you don't need you don't need the pen actually. Pointer options always helps, doesn't it, when I start violently scribbling on things. So, uh, in 1960, December 1960, in fact, I can do this, yeah, December 1960, uh, there was a... Are these appearing or disappearing? Oh, yeah, they're appearing. So, uh, in December 1960, we had um, this uh, white paper was published, The Reorganisation of the Nationalised Transport Undertakings. Essentially, it was a restructure. I should have put... The, there's a nice there's a nice uh, flowchart within this document. You can download this on the Railways Archive. Um, and it shows the restructuring. So it's a restructuring from the British Transport Commission into there being a British Railways Board. And it was sort of, this was happening in the early 60s. It was happening under the Conservative government. It was a reshaping of what, of the, it wasn't, it wasn't privatisation. It was just a, a reshaping, a, a potential, it was a commercialisation, certainly. It was a marketization of the, of the, of the, of the transport uh, kind of undertakings of the, that were under government control. So that was December 1960. Roll on to 1963 and we have these two, so three years later, and we have, or two two years later, really, or a year and a half later, actually, because it's March, December to March. We have uh, the reshaping of British Railways, which is the which is ostensibly the first Beeching report, right? There are two parts. There are the report. There's the report, and and then there's the the kind of the supporting maps. And we're very briefly going to look at the maps. Uh, but we're going to look at both of these, but the maps won't take us very long. It's about two minutes to just flick through them. Uh, it's the sort of thing where actually, yeah, download it and flick through it yourself because it's really interesting. We'll get there. Um, no, they're not really the Thatcher cuts because they happened under Labour as well. Uh, they're, they're just ha they're just happening through the uh, they just happened through the twentieth century. Uh, and if we're less prosaic about the fact that, uh, the way they happened, then we can be more um, we can understand why they happened and consider the fact that that's in the past and we need to look forwards and, and understand the fact the rail network doesn't need to look like it looked in the sixties. But again, that, I'm I'm shooting my own fox here. So those are the, the, the those those appeared in March 1963, and in fact, then in 1965, so so in February 1965, and a bit later, this thing appeared here. This this funny shaped doodad, and also this color here, um, because with Beeching's arrival, uh, by the mid 60s, British Railways had become British Rail and had become a far more professional looking outfit. What it's behind me, isn't it? Corporate identity, man. You can see the bottom of it up there, there, up here. Um, that document had been published. There it is. So I'd, I'd fish it down, but it's heavy, and I'd end up pull. I'll pull my earphones out my ears and uh, cause many damage. Uh, so, 
Anyway, that's behind me. So, uh, so you got this document, which is the second Beecham report, which a lot of people say, oh, it was so dreadful, it was so bad, it was, if, if he, if he let that happen, it's like, no, again, no, this was not, you're getting confused with the Serpil report, um, this was not about cutting even more, it was about enhancing and developing and, and essentially building in high capacity single corridors, um, if you like making the British Rail Network a bit more like the Italian network and of a single kind of single core running up the spine of the country, which given Britain's geography maybe isn't such a good idea. And he had a lot of conviction about this becoming a thing. But anyway, that was the that it wasn't about closing the remaining lines. In any case, that was in February nineteen sixty five. So that's the chronology of those. And um and here he is pointing at his uh pointing at uh, a, a map from his I think it's from his second report, actually, this this map. Um, he didn't quite pleased with himself. Um, however, uh, for reasons... Uh, he always picked the non-conspiratorial answer as being the most likely outcome, right? Which is uh, that he was in, he was seconded over from ICI into into British Railway, into, onto the BRB to become chair of the British Railways Board. Um, and he said that his comment ran out. There are suggestions that he was used as a... He was kind of a convenient short-term scapegoat. He did what was needed to be done. He was the only person who was could be put there to do it. Uh, no one else really had the had the guts. They wanted an outsider who didn't have all the baggage, blah, 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 blah. That's sort of from the previous episode, right? But anyway, uh, he was gone by June 65. So that's the chronology of what it is. So anyway, that's, the that's, that's kind of his chronology. He came in, did his thing, came out. And it's these two reports that we're going to look at. And we're going to start with um, report number one. No, that's report number two. Well, it's both report number one, sorry. But we're going to start with part one, which is the actual body of the report. Now, I have to make an apology, uh, which is that the uh, the report is, the scan is not so great. So if you're following this and finding it difficult to read, I'm really sorry. All I can recommend is that you download the, you can go and do it now. Go onto the Railways Archive and you can download these very easily. Just search uh, Beeching Report Railways Archive and you'll uh, and, and what you need will appear. So let's have a look at the structure of the report. So, so there is the reshaping of British Railways, grand. Uh, this one was stored in uh, Wiltshire County Library. Very nice. Anyway, I would love my own copy, actually. I need to find a copy. Uh, Tom Sedgman points out very validly, do not assign to conspiracy that which can be explained by incompetence. Uh, yes, that's something I live, uh, kind of a motif I, I live underneath, if you like. Uh, right, there's a forward. There's the nature of the problem, analysis of the problem. So there's examination of present state of the railways. It's kind of this understanding. What's the What's the problem? Um, then there's a bit of a breakdown of traffic. So this this was happening at the same time. There's a massive uh, statistical collection of what the railway was up to at that time. So passenger services, freight traffic. Um, and then there's the, the, the breakdown at the end. There's the operating and administrative economies, uh, the reduction in, in, in staff numbers, uh, the impact financially of the plan, some other bits and pieces, a summary of the report at the end, page 57, and then the appendices. And the appendices are the bit which I think... A lot of you might be interested in, at least visually, because they list off some of the stuff that lost its railway uh, and lost its railway services. And so the people are often interested in that bit. But actually, it's probably the least interesting part of the whole report. So uh, all of that forward. Now, I always skip forwards, don't I? Because they're kind of the personal interpretation. But actually, the forward... Basically, the formulation... So I, I'm going to start quoting. And you know I'll do quoting voice. For those of you new to the page copies, to, to page turns, uh, rail net page turn episodes, I do I do a kind of a fast, different voice when I'm reading. Uh, so for audio-only people, hopefully this makes it clear when I'm reading versus when I'm commenting. But uh, yeah, so 
I'll start reading. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll kind of give you an idea from the first couple of paragraphs. The formulation of plans for the reshaping of British Railways has been foreshadowed by numerous references in Parliament and in other places ever since the Prime Minister speaking in the House on the 10th of March 1960 said, First, the industry must be of a size and pattern suited to modern conditions and prospects. In particular, the railway system must be remodelled to meet current needs and the modernisation plan must be adapted to this new shape. Now, I'm going to hold on that quote because it, talking about the future, predicting the future is something that ministers like to do. And we've just seen GBR, you know, William Shapps. We've just seen the decarbonisation plans. We've been doing a lot of page turns because a lot of there's been a, the reason we've got loads of page turns happening is because there's a big surge in reports at the moment, a big surge in government sweeping its arms around and saying it's going to change things and make everything better and so that's why it's look it's this is if nothing else this is why it's useful to look back at the last time a major report said it's going to hugely shake up and change the, the industry it may appear that the lapse of three years between the date when the original reference was made to the nece uh, to the necessity for reshaping the railways and the emergence of a plan is excessive but there are two reasons why it took so long in the first place attention was devoted to the reorganization of the british transport commission structure uh, da, 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 da. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, restructuring the thing. And uh, so, it was only until the um, last part of 1961 that positive steps were taken towards planning the future shape of the railways. Secondly, there had never before been any systematic assembly of a basis of information upon which planning could be founded and without which the proper role of the railways in the transport system as a whole could not be determined. The collection of this information was itself a massive task, and it is perhaps more surprising that it was brought to a useful stage in just over a year than that it should have taken so long. Yeah, I have to agree. Like, there's a, like, a lot of people moan about this data collection process as, as a way to say, oh, he didn't know what he was doing, and it was wrong. It's like, you know, maybe the data collection was wrong, but it was the first time anyone was doing it in a major scale like this. Um, and that's a good thing. Data collection is good. So, yeah, if uh, if the railway companies, and indeed British Rail up to that point, British Railways up to that point, have been collecting data better, you might argue that there might have been better, more of a case to prove uh, different outcomes. But anyway, that's kind of by the by. Throughout these investigations, the preparation of this report, the British Railways Board has had it in mind that its duty is to employ the assets vested in it and develop or modify them to the best advantage of the nation. Uh, also, because the ultimate choice of what is considered most advantageous must be made by the nation, it is a basic responsibility of the board to provide as objectively and comprehensively as possible information which makes clear the range and nature of the choice. I think this is an important uh, sentence and paragraph because this document was... Yes, it's quite definitive in what it says should stay open and should, should stay closed. But it sort of does that on the basis of... It says, here's our here are our terms of reference. Here's the measurement process we've gone through. It's for government and ministers to then decide what happens. And indeed, the recommendations of the report were not carried out in full. In some cases, they closed things that weren't in the report. And in lots of cases, they didn't close things that were in the report. So that, that paragraph is kind of in, relevant in saying that they're, they're, not they're pointing out they don't necessarily have the perfect answer, but they are providing as much information as they can. Um, uh, Owen O'Neill is already getting angry. So page two, uh, you're already on page two, uh, getting ahead of me. Yes. Yeah, so it, in general, people will wish to be, base a choice between alternative modes of transport upon consideration of quality of service and the cost of obtaining it. Oh, to an extent, it's true. It must be recognised, however, that in the transport field, more than in many others, the judgment of some quality factors is largely subjective. That individual convenience and total social benefit are not necessarily compatible, and that competing forms of transport cannot be costed on strictly comparable bases. For these reasons, none of the major proposals for reshaping the railway system which are made in this report is based upon attempted close judgments between ratios of quality to cost for competing systems of transport. <coughs> this is a definite flaw of the report. It, Despite the fact that there is a discussion of the holistic view of transport, there was not a consideration of the bigger picture. There was not a consideration of the overall picture, really. Um, 
And that's a failure of the report. That, that is a failure of the report, right? Proposals have, uh, on the other hand, been influenced by major differences in the more measurable aspects of service quality, such as speed reliability. Sorry, I'm, I'm yawning. How rude of me. Uh, everyone else is now yawning in the chat. Uh, they have also been influenced by major disparities in cost arising from the inherent characteristics of the various forms of transport and by major disparities between the value of the service provided measured in terms of what people are prepared to pay for it and the cost of providing it. It is, of course, the responsibility of the board to so to shape and operate the railways as to make them pay. Oh. Now, that's always an interesting one because, like, uh, is that true? Because by this point, the first, there are two things at play. Uh, Keynesian economics, well-established, which is essentially... MMT, frankly, uh, the neoliberal uh, kind of uh, false models for economics, uh, Thatcher's nonsense about the household finances uh, being like government finances or vice versa, um, hadn't, 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 you know, no, not even a twinkle in anyone's eye by this point. Um, and also there was still the, the kind of the, 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 the post-war consensus was still a thing. So the idea that the government, that things need to pay is a bit strange, a bit worrying that that's starting to pop up because it's not necessarily true. The railways don't need to pay their way. They do not need to pay their way because ultimately what you're saying is, well, pay, at what point are we talking about paying? Because if we're talking about the benefits overall, as, as Owen O'Neill has pointed out, the social benefit side, well, the pen benefits don't just come from uh, people's one journey. They come from all of the secondary benefits of people deciding to take rail over other modes. So, and, and even at this point, as we know, electrification reports were being published. You know, 20 years later, the electrification reports were being published in the, in the 70s reports about the need to drive more travel transport toward, you know, modal share shifting towards rail rather than road was already being discussed. So anyway, um, so yada, yada. So I, I, the reason I've gone to that point is because I think it's worth picking up that point. Um Yes. So, da -da 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 -da. on the contrary, the changes proposed are intended to shape the railways to meet present-day requirements by enabling them to provide as much of the total transport of the country as they can provide well. To this end, proposals are directed towards developing to the full those parts of the system and those services which can be made to meet traffic requirements more efficiently and satisfactorily than any available alternative form of transport. Okay, that's that's passenger transport. Uh, the point at issue here is so important that it's worthwhile to emphasise it by expressing the underlying thought in a different way. Ooh. The profitability or otherwise of a railway system is dependent on a number of external influences which may markedly change from time to time, may change markedly from time to time, important among them being decisions affecting the freedom of use, cost of use and availability of roads. For this and other reasons, it is impossible, it is impossible to plan the maximum use of railways consistent with profitability for years ahead without some risk that it will prove in the event that services have been overprovided and that overall profitability is not achieved. On the other hand, to retain only those parts of the existing system which, system which are virtually certain to be self-supporting under any reasonably profitable, probable future conditions would lead to grave risk of destroying assets which in the event might have proved to be valuable. So there's an acknowledgement that he might get stuff wrong. There is that acknowledgement. Confronted with this dilemma arising from the impossibility of assessing future conditions and future profitability very reliably, the board have put forward proposals for reshaping the system which are conservative with regard to closures and restrainedly speculative with regard to new developments, but which are all directed towards shaping the system to provide rail transport for only that part of the total national traffic pattern with which costing and uh, common sense considerations show to have characteristics favourable to rail transport. This In the freight episode, we talked about this, right? talked about the fact that Beeching realised that the railways needed to do more of what they were good at and less of what they were bad at. Bear in mind at the same time, and this will come up in the maps section actually when we look at part two, there was an elevation not just of the, the private motor car at the time, but also 
buses. It was seen that buses were part of the the transport ecosystem at the time. There was an idea that bus, you know, bus services along rural areas would be what you know your bus institution, if as it ended up being called later in the eighties, was the fact that there's an idea that the buses would pick up and buses would provide those feeders. As to be fair, they start to do now. Nowadays, you know, bus we have bus feeders that work well, and and indeed I advocate not for for example we've you know we've got Jordan on. Uh, who can talk about the CNER? You do not. You would not open the railway out to 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 Ballater. You you open it to Bankery and you have a bus connection at the end. There the, the there is a balance to be had in the efficiency and the the, the effectiveness of of that system. You know, uh, and so we're not. I'm I'm not this. I'm by the way in this read through. I'm not going to pick through the individual choices that were right or wrong. Not at all. We're looking at the the actual structure of the report. What the report says, and and it's already twenty three minutes too. But uh, but yeah, so so I don't think it's crazy to make an assumption that, that then got busted up because of, of deregulation and because of uh, the deprioritization of buses as a, as a mode. But actually at the time the idea was, and it's clear from the mapping later, that buses were considered to fill in a lot of the gaps that rail wasn't. And rail was not good at providing. Yes, rail, feeder, people have already talked about feeder services, feeder routes. Yes, rail provided those feeder routes, but... Um, it's not sensible to have direct services from every single station to the major principal stations. And so you're going to have to have changes. And so it's not unreasonable to assume that people would be comfortable carrying, you know, taking a bus to make those, those, those connections. Anyway, right. Uh, this plan is not carried to the stage where it purports to answer the question, how much of the railway can ultimately be made to pay? This answer will emerge only after experience has shown how much benefit springs from elimination of those parts of the system which are obviously unsound. I don't know why I'm yawning. It's because I'm... I don't know why I'm yawning. I'm so sorry, everyone. Uh, rude. And the extent to which the good parts of the railway system and traffic can be improved by cost savings, better quality service, better operating methods and attraction of favourable traffic. Nevertheless, the firm proposals included in the plan are expected to lead to substantial improvements in the financial position. Perhaps even more important, they, are a, they set a clear course for the railways in a general direction, which must be right, and which can be followed with vigour without any danger of eliminating too much or of incurring grossly wasteful expenditure before the position can be reviewed. This was in the aftermath of modernisation, which had been by pretty much every measure a calamity, right? And so, yeah, Jordan Jack is pointing out, as long as they're integrated and through ticketed, which they weren't in this instance. But this is in the aftermath of modernisation. Uh, modernisation would be a shambles. And the railways were directionless. This, this is a thing that, okay, Beecham was no hero, right? He was no hero. He didn't have much. He didn't have the foresight in lots of things. He got lots of things wrong. He didn't have a huge foresight. And he did. He had a vigorous feeling that the railway, passenger railways should only really run on the skeletal network outside of London. He really, really did believe that strongly, which he was wrong on. However, he's the first person and indeed probably the only person in the railway's history in a position of, of authoritative power within the railways to actually say what are the railways for he's the only person to do that and for that he has to be commended and that's sort of what he's saying there the changes proposed and their phasing are certainly not too drastic if regarded as a means of correcting the present departure of the railways from their proper role in the transport system as a whole it's recognized however that changes of the magnitude of those proposed will inevitably give rise so many difficulties affecting railway staff, the travelling public and industry. The it's because I do fast voice. Fast voice and I don't breathe and I yawn. Um, the board will do all that it can to ameliorate these difficulties uh, consistent with its responsibilities for making railways an efficient and economic component in the transport system. But the board knows that it will not be able to solve all problems unaided. So it's a bit like we can't, okay, we're proposing this stuff. We can't solve all the problems that we're, that we're creating by making these proposals. 
that's kind of a bit of a reference like government you need to step up and talk about whether you know solving these problems whether it's in change in development or or other sort of uh, you know buses for example so the nature of the problem this is where they talk this is where uh, Beecham talks about uh, the fact that the uh, basically the railways were knackered after the war uh, they continued to be, uh, you know, they continued to pay their way until 1952, but that's chiefly because road transport was basically rubbish until then. Uh, and from that point onwards, the the there was a, a switch. Uh, the switch happened, and we talked about this in the in the freight episode in detail, so I'm not going to dwell on it. Uh, they talk about the modernization plan, plan to modernize the but by 1960, it became apparent the effect of modernization were neither so rapid nor so pronounced as had been forecast, and the downward trend in some railway traffics would persist. And that losses were likely to go on increasing unless radical changes were made. Um, so then they talk about uh, consider. He talks about considerable scope for cost reduction, and multiplicity of economies over the whole field of railway operations. Um, it's obvious before detailed investigation that uh, neither modernisation nor more economical working could make the railways viable in their existing form, and that a reshaping the whole pattern of the business would be necessary as well. Ever since major amalgamations started, the business of the railways has been, from a financial point of view, a mixture of good, bad and indifferent routes, services and traffics. Nevertheless, the circumstances which obtained throughout the major period of the railway history in Britain, conditions of near monopoly, obligation to carry and statutory fixing of rates without relationship to costs, all tended to cause accountancy to be limited to global accounts for each of the independent railway companies. Uh, yeah, so basically it was a bit of a, an accounting nightmare, essentially. Um, so... Basically, uh, as you know, as you got merging, these units became larger without an offsetting increase in detail, <clears throat> and this continued to be the position where uh, when all the railways combined by nationalisation. So it's basically saying the idea of understanding where railways were making, well, what lines were useless and which weren't, was it was was hopeless. The idea of what remember, I'm, I'm going to put the map up later. I'm going to put the before and after map up, but I'm not going to put it up to to bemoan why you know closures. The British railway network was an absolute shambles. It was a our network is it still is useless. It's hopeless. Everything's in the wrong place. It's it's dreadful. Is like the the alignments are hopeless. The connections are hopeless. The main north south routes between cities are hopeless. Like our railway network is rubbish. Absolute rubbish. It was planned with zero strategic foresight whatsoever, and so it was a mess. And so it needed to be sorted out in some way. It needed to be in some manner. Um, I don't want to use the word rationalized because it's not true. But there are a lot of lines that just didn't need to exist. So, and, and, and already, as we know, there had been closures happening. Um, uh, while these conditions exist, and while the railways were able to make a profit on their business as a whole, the unknown degree of cross-subsidisation involved in character, they're basically saying that the level of subsidisation, cross-subsidisation, was entirely not understood, uh, and, and indeed remained so until this report went out. Um, and now that things have gone to hell, uh, he's saying, well, we need to start understanding where, where things are, are efficient and profitable. And yes, there's a lot of talk about profitability in here, and, I, and, and I'm dubious of that. But profitability is also a proxy for efficiency and for, um, you know, duplication. And, and so it's not entirely to be disregarded at the time uh, as a tool, as a proxy tool. Um, so road competition forced down rates on rail. This is also interesting that it's before, um, when was... Uh, trying to think when common carriage was was correctly got rid of i know there are some people who are pro common carriage but oh i'm so sorry there was a i've not had any lunch that's an also an issue i got distracted with work um uh, gareth williams asks is the mess because of all the different competing companies that started our railways yeah like hundreds of them lots and lots and lots of little railways uh plus a few big railways 
all just spread it. And also all the railways were designed to do different things. They weren't designed as, it wasn't designed as a passenger network at all. It wasn't designed as a network at all. Um, yeah, so so that's why it's uh, it's a bit of a shambles. Just realised I've got top chat, not not uh, not live chat. And I'm so sorry. That probably has made a bit of a mess of my responses. Fifty three for common carriage. No, I think it was later. Common carriage was uh, was abolished quite a bit later. I think. Um, get googling everyone. Right. So uh, analysis is a problem. So let's 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 move on. So rightly so, and I think this is the key thing. The, the situation has necessitates a much more analytical examination of the railways business. With a view to reshaping the system, their mode of operation, their pattern of services and traffic, fully agree with that sentence. And uh, yeah, so that's the problem. So this is where it breaks down, right? Okay, so this is a problem. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, lots of high fixed costs. Um, benefits which can be derived from possession of this high cost route system very great. Uh, you know, so the, the, it's talking about the benefits. Uh, permits the running of high capacity trains. Uh, very low movement costs per unit carried. Secondly, permits dense flows of traffic, and provided the flows are dense, the fixed costs per unit moved are low. Thirdly, it permits safe, reliable scheduled movements at high speed. So that's acknowledging the fact that railways are actually very good. In a national system of transport, we should therefore expect to find railways concentrating upon those parts of the traffic pattern which enable them to de derive sufficient benefit from these advantages to offset their unavoidable burden of high system costs. This is right. It isn't sensible to have a railway that exists um, that is carrying only a few passengers a day. That, that isn't sensible. It's not an efficient use. Of, if, if we look at it through a modern lens, that's not an efficient use of, of materials. It's not an efficient use of resources. Uh, it's not an efficient use of electricity to move the electric train around, right? It's not an efficient use of, of resources. So it's right that you then choose a more efficient way to move those people around, whether it's bus uh, or, or some alternative. Um, car, incidentally, ain't an efficient way to do it because that's a two-ton metal box around one individual in most cases, or 1.5 individuals on average. So, um, so that's a discussion. So that's like we need to do analysis. The next is the examination of the present state of the railway. So there's a discussion of how this, um, well, first of all, they talk about how they subdivide it. So units and subunits of the general managerial responsibility, functional subdivision, um, types of traffic and parts of the physical system. Um, so basically, it's like saying that we've got to split it up in some way. These are different ways we can change it. Then there's a description of the figures, which are from 1961, of, of who is traveling on what. Uh, they're saying, in a situation as changeable as that, the railways, no year can be described as typical. 1961 was not a good one from the traffic point of view because the recession in the steel industry affected the latter part of it. In this respect, therefore, it's worse than 1960, but it was better than 1962. And it's not yet known whether 1963 will be better. So they're acknowledging the statistical um, problems with the, as any good statistician would, saying that these are some of the problems, these are some of the assumptions. Um, and so these are the group, then we start getting to the big penny. So here are the big receipts, right? And I'm not going to dwell on the numbers because they're pretty arbitrary for us to look at them now without any real context. For example, a proper analysis would be useful to bring these to 2021 figures, for example, to just give us an idea of the scale because those numbers are meaningless on their own, really. Um, so, yeah, uh, so I'm not going to dwell on the numbers, but you can see that this is where it breaks down. And then there's an analysis of the types of traffic. So here we go, different types of traffic. So we, here we go. So a breakdown of different sorts of um, of, of fast, semi-fast, stopping suburban passenger services. So it's looking at different million train miles. Um, here you can see the totals there. Um, for passenger freight by, by coaching train, mainly passengers and mails. This is a, a type of traffic that's almost totally evaporated from our railways now. 
but accounted until even very recently for a tremendous volume of, of traffic. And then a breakdown of, of other freight. So you've got coal, minerals, general merchandise, wagon loads, sundries, total. Uh, and you then got the, the kind of the grand total across them. So there's a bit of a breakdown. And then there's a bit more kind of looking at the route system, the track distribution of traffic density. So looking at tracks, um, four tracks, so the, the route mileage for four tracks um, is 1,500 miles, uh, three tracks, 400 double track 10,000 and then only what is that 6,000 for single track so you can see the vast majority of the railway is double track railway um and and then there's, there's the kind of breakdown of what's freight only and then there's a bit of a, a breakdown of maintenance categories so track categories a b c and d those have changed now we've got track categories 1a to to 6 uh through here but you can see the number of tracks this is a bit of a breakdown of what, what infrastructure is there so you can see there we are breakdown of the infrastructure um and then there's a big old thing saying, look, it's, uh, so this is, this is interesting. This section is very interesting because it talks about the fact that a third of the route mileage carries only 1% of the total passenger miles. Similarly, one third of the mileage carries only 1% of the freight ton miles. So this is saying there's a huge amount of, of, of redundant network, of network that is genuinely redundant. And forgetting costs, the fact that you're only, you've only got, looking at the amount of traffic is a good way of saying there's a lot of redundancy here. Um, half of the total route mileage carries about 4% of the total passenger miles. So it's a huge amount of mileage carrying very little traffic. It cannot be right. You know, rightly so, they're pointing out that this is not ideal. It's recognised that foregoing basis of consideration does not take account of the actual nature of the traffic's unlikely loaded lines, of any special cost and charging feature associated with the blah, 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 right. Okay, so they're talking about more, acknowledging some shortcomings again. Uh, total revenue derived. Uh, so they're talking about least used, estimated cost of least used 50% of all stations, uh, nine million pound but they're pointing out that um yeah in terms of stations there are seven thousand stations open to traffic in 1961 there are 2500 now um in the uk uh equivalent to one for every two and a half miles of route and the distribution of stations over the route system with indications uh, shown in maps three and four so it's referring to the maps uh, and it's shown that um one third of the stations produce less than one percent of the total passenger receipts again that is dulali it's clear that there are lots of stations that just don't serve a function um uh da, 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 da. so here we go so they're, they're considering different groups of traffic so you see here discussion of the different types um there this is shown best on the maps so i'm not going to dwell on this uh so here we are so this is interesting so we go to here da, 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 with a demand capable of supporting quality services covered by supplementary charges seem to be reduced right fine Competitive railway building in the past led not only to duplication of main arteries between some of the principal cities, but also to duplication of passenger stations and all the ancillary facilities such as carriage and cleaning sidings. Yada yada. Very little has been done so far to rationalise the mainline passenger services, which use alternative routes and terminals, but it is clear in many cases that concentration on selected routes and stations would provide equal or better services and permit substantial economies. Absolutely bob on. In a way, that's kind of what we're doing with HS2. I know this is going to scare a lot of you. A lot of you are going to go, ah! But... Uh, HS2 allows a bit of a consolidation of that. You know, if we're running all of our long-distance high-speed services on HS2, and we consolidate the exist the remaining network to do more um, high-frequency, high-speed stopping stuff, uh, that'll allow a, a, a consolidation of. Actually, it'll, it'll require more depot of space because we'll need more trains to run those those remaining the, the, the existing network expansion of existing network services. But it potentially allows a rationalisation. Um, if your railway, I'm indeed working on something uh, related to this just now in a certain geographical part of the UK, um, if you're running a metro style service or a high frequency service, it does allow rationalization of track layout, it allows, allows efficiencies there. Um, and, and that's not problematic because if you're running a high frequency service, you are kind of doing everything for everyone. Anyway, 
So they're looking at these in brackets. They're giving some examples and giving some examples of peak traffic. And uh, so talking about number of coaches. Um, yeah, so they're talking about how many coaches are not required on more than a certain number of occasions. Uh, so, yeah, limited number of occasions annually. So this is a huge number. So number of gangway coaches allowed, uh, allocated to fast and semi-fast services, 18,500. Uh, number in year-round service, only 5,500. Uh, so there's some additional for peak. It's quite a lot under repair. It's a huge number of coaching stock. It's quite spectacular. Uh, so anyway, right. Stopping train services, the description of stopping train services, a lot of data on this. So that you see there's more data to do with ma route maintenance, signaling cost, cost of stations. There's a huge exploration, data-driven exploration of this. Uh, it's all, so this, I'm not dwelling on the passenger stuff because it's not, you can go in and dig into the specifics and the details. That's not what we're here to do. Um, you're not going to get the benefit, you know, the, 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 there's an explanation here. Ah, right, so here we get to, to, to rail buses. The, the third suggestion, so let's let's go through this. So, uh, da, 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 da. yes, so there's a list. I'm trying to find, there's a, there's a cover the cost of many services. Fares would have to be, I'm trying, there's a, there's a, the third suggestion, well, what's the second suggestion and then also the first suggestion, oh, anyway. Uh, hi, Ella. I realize I'm on your turf, yeah. Um, with HS2, will existing semi-fast services be kept like the Pendolinos? Uh, they will, but ideally they'd stop in more places. Uh, and the Pendolinos aren't very good at that, so I hope that the Pendolinos will be replaced fairly quickly with them. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I hope that they get replaced with um, uh, more kind of... Uh, I've entirely lost it. Azuma type, you know, the the Intercity Express trains, or uh, perhaps better, uh, get Stadlers on there. Anyway, right. So, confronted with evidence that a rail service does not pay, many people ask, why not decrease fares and attract more traffic? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is like a waggly eyebrows moment. Like, well, yeah, do that. Uh, why not give people the opportunity to pay higher fares and preserve the service? Yeah. Why not substitute rail buses for trains and decrease the cost of the service? Why not run for your trains? Why not close some stations? Common sense considerations and all experiences go to show that the problem cannot be solved either by decreasing or increasing fares. Okay. Uh, I, I think citation needed on that one. There is some discussion previously about it, but anyway. If fares were halved, traffic would have to increase at least fourfold to cover the direct costs of stopping services as a group and sixfold to make them pay their whole costs. Nobody can seriously suppose that this would happen. I mean, that is a, a fair equation, but I, I don't think it holds up to the wider social benefit scrutiny. But anyway, people without their own transport at present are not so seriously deterred by the rail fares for short journeys that they would use trains many times as often if fares were halved. Okay. To cover the cost of many services, fares would have to be increased to about eight or ten times their present level, even if traffic remained at its present density. Um, it would, of course, disappear completely. Well, yeah. The third suggestion that rail buses should be substituted for trains ignores the high cost of providing the route itself and also ignores the fact that rail buses are more expensive vehicles than road buses. The extent to which the economics remain unsound can readily be seen by inserting a movement cost of three shillings per mile in the table. So it's an explanation. That doesn't actually hold true. Germany rolled out rail buses to great success uh, during this period. So he kind of got this wrong. Um, yeah, Zander Veach is pointing out that, the, that yeah, Germany did this uh, and they got it. They, they did bus. They, they substituted rail buses, and they worked in a big way. Major success, I suppose. Rail buses hadn't worked successfully up to this point in in turning around uh, passenger numbers. So maybe that's some prejudice that worked its way in. So uh, yeah, so and so on and so forth. So so this is the idea that da, 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 
he's suggesting that the static costs of the infrastructure are the thing are, are a real problem that you, you can't solve it so so there we go so so the savings and stations affected and blah, blah, blah. hardship it would be folly to suggest that widespread closure of stopping train services will cause no hardship anywhere or to anybody the transport act 1962 makes the consideration of hardship the special responsibility of the transport users consultative committees uh, where objections to closures are lodged it didn't function very well the uh, the tuck did not function very well at all but anyway where objections to closure lodged for the purpose of judging the closure proposal as a whole however it's necessary to have some idea of the scale and degree of hardship which they are likely to cause with the exception of Northern Scotland and parts of Central Wales, most areas of the country are already served by a network of bus, here we go, the bus services. Bus services, more dense than the network of rail services which will be withdrawn, and in the majority of cases, these buses already carry the major proportion of local traffic. With minor exceptions, these bus services cater for the same traffic flows as railways on routes which are roughly parallel. Take them as a whole, they have enough spare capacity to absorb. So there's the idea, of basically, that the bus network is integrated and will absorb that, that extra traffic um, and won't cause any problems. The maps will help, and I'll show you them in a minute. Um... In all of these areas, cases of special difficulty will be rare, but there may be localities where there is not already a bus service connecting places at present. The traffic displaced from rail has a density of over 1,000 passengers per week. It provides the basis for an economic bus service of about eight buses each way. Where the traffic displaced is less than 1,000 passengers per week, and where bus services do not exist already, some special arrangements may be necessary. Roughly a quarter of the services proposed for closure may have a traffic density below 1,000, but it's estimated that only 122 miles of these routes are not already paralleled by bus, paralleled by bus services. So basically it's saying hardship will only arise in a very limited scale. So it's a very simplistic view of the of the criticality of, of railways and the way they function, but there we go. In parts of Scotland, in particular to a lesser degree in Wales, in the West Country, road improvement or road construction may be necessary before adequate road services can be provided as full alternatives to the rail services which exist at present. Some of these road improvements are required in any case for development of the motor tourist trade on which the future of these areas so greatly depends. So that's a bit of a do more roads statement there from Beecham, but anyway. Um, suburban areas, how they have intensity of peaks, daily movement, da da da. It's a little thing about uh, suburban services. Uh, it's just pointing out that um, misleading to consider all services together, basically saying suburban services outside of London don't pay their way. In London, they do. That's essentially what this whole next section talks about. So it's saying that. Um, that actually, in the case of London, physical capacity is limited. That you need to expand, um, uh, expand the capacity of the of the network within London. So, yeah, this is this is interesting. Um, it's an interesting section. This one. So uh, here we are. Stuff about the London lines uh, and there we are. Blah, 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 ignore fifty five because that was the big old strike in fifty five. Uh, there's the Suez crisis and then there's a bus strike. It's interesting seeing how much these things impact, isn't it? Um, yeah, anyway. Presented by London. So, yeah, here we are. So um, basically a discussion of the fact that the, the, the com compressed uh, yeah, compressed capacity is a, a significant issue within London. And it, uh, so they're saying uh, maybe we can fix this. Uh, saying that fares can control it, but also I think there is a consideration. It doesn't explicitly say. I don't think he explicitly says we should expand the system, actually. But he does say um, that there are... Uh, he uh, he alludes to some of the challenges in London. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm dithering a bit because I'm kind of reading the bit ahead to sort of second guess and also not take too much time since it's exactly eight o'clock right now. Um, uh, so some some questions going on in the in the chat actually. Rail buses would never worked in uh, in DE uh, without cheaper signalling and route costs, which was never attempted in the UK. Yeah, um, to an extent. <laughs> 
Yeah. <sighs> yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, it is true that the fixed cost, and then Beecher acknowledges this. He says the fixed costs are too high for infrastructure. Um, but rail buses, yeah. It's a, it's a complicated picture, that one. Uh, HST Trains is asking about modes of transport needed today. Uh, yeah, I, would you say the modes of transport that need investment there? Cycling buses, coaches, transport, all, all. That's another, that's another question really entirely, HST Trains. That's, uh, that's, that's an episode in and of itself. Xander Beach is pointing out, interesting that his view of London wasn't enough for him to predict the future of other major cities and retain more railways there. Absolutely, that is a major shortcoming. We're about to get to it. No, other, no city other than London is nearly so predominantly dependent on suburban train services. All of them are served by public road transport, which carries a high proportion of the, daily, uh, the total daily flow, and the movement and parking of private transport is still sufficiently free to make it a possible alternative to rail. Also, none of the services is loaded as heavily as many London services. Doi! Yeah, why is that? <laughs> Yeah, um, no for so when I talk about lack of foresight, he's good on some things, he is hopeless on passenger transport, and this is a perfect example. He just had no vision on why that might be the case. So, um, yeah, um, just just a bit of a mess, really. So it's, it's talking about, yeah, it's just decreases with increased traffic, but short, talking about the fact that decreasing fares would increase traffic, but short peak periods of traffic even at, at even saturation level would not support the services of the fares load. Just a bit of waffle. This whole section is not this. This section is bad. He really screwed up on on understanding suburban services outside of London because what they should have done is expanded them, and driven uh, expansion of those. Anyway, mail and parcels. I don't. I don't know enough about mail and parcels to comment really. But there's just a discussion of like, yeah, mail and parcels is a thing. Facilities of trunk conveyance. Um, it did get more efficient after Beach, and so I presume he said some good stuff. There's a discussion of integration with British Road Services, which was the whole, uh, a company held by, or it was a the nationalised bit held by a holding company that ran all of the um, nationalised freight services at the time. Uh, and then there's the whole section on freight traffic. Now, how many pages are we on? Page 24. This is a long section, and rightly so, because there's a lot to go into. And I think, you know, we've gone through the freight episode, so I'm not going to dwell on it. Um, but what I'm going to do is talk, is kind of go through, like, look, the the freight section is is quite interesting because I think it, freight is where Beeching did get a lot of stuff right. Um, there's a discussion here. Um, basically, it's saying, again, consideration of freight traffic is all important to the future of the railways as a nationwide system. Without freight, the main railway uh, network would could not exist. Although passenger trains can be operated profitably over main routes where they have to contribute only a part of the route cost, they would on their own be capable of supporting only a small fraction of the existing route mileage outside the London suburban area. It's encouraging to see, therefore, how well freight traffic is spread over all the routes on which passenger train services are likely to continue. Um, da -da -da. So possibility of generating and handling more remunerative freight traffic is of key importance. So at this point, weirdly, he's not such a key fan of, of like expanding. Uh, he talks a bit about, I mean, he introduced intercity as a concept. You know, we uh, actually, did, did, we, did I actually talk about that? Did I talk about the, didn't really, I haven't really talked about the introduction of, of actual intercity as a, a thing. Um, I mean, he uses quotes intercity. I don't know to what extent he, he, I don't know whether it's here or just broadly in some of the things he introduced that, Intercity traffic, kind of um, the intercity is a concept that introduced by, but certainly it's by sixty-five. It was it was a thing. Um, so basically, this whole section is talking about the improvements, efficiency. So it's it's getting rid of single wagon load consignments, 
aiming for bulk bulk trains where the whole train the whole train is is a sort of block train sorry where the whole train is one thing and it just gets loaded at one end uh, he talks about the fact that the goods wagons just sit doing nothing for for most of their life or sit with stuff in them doing nothing in fact he talks about the fact that for most of their duration freight trains are stationary um yeah lots of things like that and a discussion of the need to expand on what the rail is good at and we, we talked about this in in the freight episode so i'm not going to dwell on it but the report goes into that detail and and, and so he goes into some quite some detail about how to resolve some of these these issues um so here we are so there's the stats you can see the uh they're carrying coal class traffic the fact that bulk mineral bulk is is profitable and should be expanded uh obviously with benefit of hindsight coal bad but um yeah uh there so there's kind of so here's kind of the so that was coal traffic on its own actually and then mineral traffic as well here so discussing what stuff is being carried around you can see iron ore uh is is because it's very very heavy accounts for a serious amount of tonnage uh it's quite interesting um and then some of the, some of the smaller tonnages uh chemicals uh, yeah um yeah it's all quite interesting cement accounts for quite a lot uh semflow stuff uh owners tank wagons these are so like uh what's that milk fuel and chemicals uh in their own wagons there it's interesting uh anyway right so 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 the, again it's looking at looking at sort of these these wagon loads and, and what the problems are so you can see all the different things are being carried which is in itself quite interesting potatoes gets his own entry there amazing um so yeah so it's so, lots of stuff about terminal conditions so the, the huge breakdown so this i'm not reading through this in word for word because uh, we should all go and do that but i'm breaking down sort of what the structure is to make it easier for you to pick out the bits that you might find interesting so this is again looking at freight uh, good stations um understanding kind of what happens afterwards so again freight episode we talked about the fact that he saw that freight was not just about what was happening on the railway he saw the need to understand what was happening uh, on arrival to the railway and on departure from the railway um uh, so yeah, so there's the survey of traffic not on rails. There's an understanding of what the good, the movement of goods is out away from the railways. Liner trains. This is freight liner. This is the first mention of uh, you know with, with the introduction of freight liner. Um, the liner train concept is described more fully in Appendix Four. Uh, it's not yet been developed quite to the point where proposals for the establishment of a national network of liner train services can be put forward as a firm project. Um, but enough scheme work has been done to show its promise. So he really did see the future of this. Again, as I say, I think possibly from his background, as an ICI background, he wasn't very good at seeing social benefit of passenger travel. I think he was pretty good at understanding the future of, uh, of freight, even though in the case of liner trains, he saw domestic liner trains as being freight liner stuff as the, as the key flow and actually ended up being intermodals coming from the, the, the harbours that, that, that drove that flow uh, more primarily. Um, so there's some some queries uh some some queries related to cities and things um butter has its own does butter have its own entry uh, there uh let's have a look uh yeah butter and margarine have their own entry beer obviously the beer episode i can strongly recommend those those two have their own uh entries anyway right so uh, let's keep cracking on. So there's there's good explanation. There's the liner trains there. Uh, yeah, things all these benefits of 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 liner trains, rightly so. Um, so yeah, this this is I, I uh, this is a really good section uh, in terms of like actually seeing to the future. Yeah, I just find it interesting what Beeching stacked in terms of passenger. He really did not have the foresight for most passenger transport. The only thing that he really had foresight for was passengers that act like freight, which is which is going to be intercity services. Um, then it comes to actually, you know, human flow. He wasn't very good at understanding that. 
and then sundries and all the other junk. And, and this is where he sort of starts saying, "This is this is rubbish. Just we don't we shouldn't be hauling this stuff. This is better suited to being containerized if it can be, or not suiting the roads." And, and arguably, it's correct. You know, um, LA is pointing out rightly so that we can infer trends. We should be aware that London in general is a vastly different beast that can't be directly uh, compared to other cities. Yeah, it's it's true. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. London, does, yeah, it's how much of the economy has been centred around it. Yeah, it's it's true. The, 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 London is... Uh, so, you, but the thing is, Ella, yes and no, in that you... With, yeah, other political things have to happen, you're right. So so we'd have to have a different country. We'd have to have done more devolution, more English devolution, more regional devolution for the cities to work a bit more like they do in the rest of Europe, for example, where lots of cities all grow wonderfully. That's because they, they act as financial. But then, to, you know, you look at the, the expansion of Manchester and Leeds as financial centres. It's not just, you know, the, the yeah, which I think is what you're saying, Alex. It's not a perfectly straightforward comparison, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, join the live chat to see what's going on. Anyway, right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Alex, for, for dropping in on that on that one. Uh, reduction of the freight wagon fleet. So there are loads of stupid individual wagons, as we saw again. Freight episode. I'm not going to dwell on it because it's already 10 past eight. Uh, and again, you've got lots of lots of great stats here. Some good stats. This is really interesting from a historical perspective. It's the data is really really very useful. Ella can probably testify to it. Um, yeah, that's, that's David Bumstead. You make a good point. I, I would always argue that you, that it's difficult to prove the counterfactual. Um, but the, the trans, you know, London succeeds because its transport network is very very good. If the transport network was as good in other cities, they might thrive better. Um, uh, right. So that's the freight section. And then we kind of get to the, right, what are we going to do about that? And so this is the, the, the changing, the kind of operational and administrative economies. So this is changing the structure of the, of the organization. So uh, the painful one here is the reduction in staffing. And this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because as a socialist, I'm like, well, you can't just, you shouldn't be just sacking huge numbers of people for no reason. But in, in the same breath, um, people shouldn't be employed for the sake of it. And particularly if you've got a limited supply of people, actually there is a, there's a, a progressive argument that if you've got a load of people employed in unnecessary, essentially in inefficient industries, they could, other, you're, you, you risk inflation by limiting the fact that they, you, they can't be employed for use in other more useful stuff. And the, and the things, the tasks that humans need to do evolve, evolve over time. You know, we don't need coal miners anymore, rightly. Um, and those, those people, um, you know, that work, those, those working people, are then available to move into different uh, tasks that are more useful. If you kept those there and employed them, and then also created the new stuff, you'd end up result. You, you create inflate uh, risk of it, high risk inflation. You need we have limited resources of people. Also, the speed at which we deliver stuff would slow down. You know, if we were employing all these people on the railway still um, now, uh, actually, we'd solve a lot of problems because we've got a chronic skills shortage. But that's another story. Anyway, but at the time, it made you know I, I don't think it's crazy that it made sense to reduce. Uh, headcount in the in the railways at the time right everyone can shout and scream at me um so <laughs> xander saying can already see this turning into two part no 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 we're quite close to the end because the rest of it's sort of appendices and stuff don't worry uh so this is a discussion the fact that we've already you know reductions had already happened um you know 62 is 25 26 thousand people and it's kind of reduced a lot so you'd see you know reductions and then staff distribution by stations and depots so a lot of staff were going to be lost by the stations closing you know that was just an immediate obvious hit um and there's a huge obviously because it's very sensitive there's this kind of fair amount of uh 
of dithering. There's a lot of you know introduction of freight sundries plans. So so get rid of all those individual wankers would reduce staff. It, there's just lots of areas where staff obviously stop being employed. You know, there's just not a need for them anymore. Um, LA developer, this is what RTC was excellent at doing. They did some amazing research into advancing things like signaling that cut down staff numbers, but also increased capacity. Uh, indeed, Railway Technical Centre. Uh, I have lots to say positive about the Railway Technical Centre, and I don't know why I haven't said it more. My thesis, uh, my master's thesis, involved a lot doing a lot of research into the Railway Technical Centre and indeed the history of it. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely an episode. In fact, why haven't I done a Railway Technical Centre episode? Why have I not done one on BR research? My God, I need to do that. Uh, anyway, right, okay. Uh, so lots of discussion about <coughs> staff. This is all what they haven't put any headings in because they're basically saying they're doing lots of like unions. Let's talk, okay, okay. <clears throat> I think the unions are kind of clocked in at this point. They were pretty unhappy about the overall thing, but generally they understood that there was change happening. Uh, and also the unions saw, thought that road transport was the future as well at the time. They, they were all for, well, that's fine. Okay, railways are kind of reducing people. We're going to have more drivers. They were looking across at the, at the, at the longshore. They were also probably at the time still thinking that longshore uh, activity, you know, longshoremen, people doing dock work was still a thing, going to be a thing, which it rapidly stopped being. Uh, and also they were looking over at the, at the drivers, over on uh, you know the, the power of the drivers unions over in the u.s and probably thinking ah, maybe we're going to get a bit of a slice of that oh so the financial consequences of the plan and this really is a summary of the of the of kind of the, the positive outcomes that they that, that beaching expected to happen so that's it's sort of saying no, 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 not an exhaustive summary of the measures referred to in the body of the report da, 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 da. Uh, proposals in respect to the continued replacement of steam by diesel traction, the introduction of liner trains, and the reorganisation of the arrangements for sundries traffic would involve capital expenditure of the order of 250 million, a lot at the time. That's billions. There would, however, be a substantial rise in interest charges to set against the estimated financial improvement credited to these proposals. In addition to the proposals referred to in the plan, major modernisation works are already in hand, including the electrification of London Midland region. These modernisation works will themselves contribute to the improvement in financial position of British railways. So Beeching did see things like he did see investment in the infrastructure as being a positive thing, as, 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 as lending to, to improving a financial position of the, of the, the railways in going forwards. Um, other factors influencing the future of all the railways. This is an interesting one. Ooh, it's a damn clothes moth, and I would like to murder it, but uh, I'm not going to get it while well, I'm in a, in a natter episode. Anyway, the proposals put forward in this report have been formulated for the purpose of shaping the railways towards a sound and viable condition in the future without assuming any major changes in the role which they are expected to... Uh, to fill uh, or in the framework within which they are expected to operate. The Railways Board is aware, however, that direct measurement of profitability is not the only criterion which can be applied when determining the best use of railways as part of the transport system in relation to the social and industrial structure as a whole. The Board is satisfied, however, that although they have not shaped their proposals upon the basis of hypothetical changes beyond their control or with regard to possibilities uh, to responsibilities which do not at present rest upon them, none of the proposals put forward here does violence to concepts which others might reasonably have wished to include. That's an interesting turn of phrase. Uh, that's kind of a bit of a subjective matter for consideration, really. Um, so they're, they're kind of talking about... This is, this is where Beeching kind of talks about the bigger picture. Rationalisation of transport as a whole, social benefit as distinct from immediate profit, long-term trends in location of industry and population, prevention of industrial growth by withdrawal of railway services. So there is an acknowledgement going through here that, okay, there, there's a bigger picture of profitability. So consideration, so, so the firstly, they're looking at rationalization of transport as a whole. Consideration of the best use of natural resources will lead most people to the conclusion that some coordination of the various modes of transport is necessary. 
the Tories stopped believing that fairly rapidly. Uh, this view is bound to present itself very forcefully to those responsible for railways, which are especially vulnerable to uncontrolled development of transport capacity because of their high fixed investment and their correspondingly high break-even level of traffic. Nevertheless, sound coordination must be based upon the use of each form of transport for those purposes with uh, which it is the best available means and as has already been emphasised, all the changes proposed are directed towards making the railways best in fields where they clearly have the potential to be so, and towards withdrawing them uh, from fields within which uh, in which they're not clearly best means. Okay, fine. So, yada yada. Any deliberate influencing of the balance between different forms of transport in future is more likely to be in favour of the railways than against them. This would improve the financial position of the densely loaded main lines and increase the proportion of intermediately loaded routes which could be made viable in future, but it could not, within the bounds of reason, be carried so far as to justify the network of lightly loaded routes which are to be closed. Okay, so it's an interesting paragraph there saying, uh, again, foresight, useful foresight, saying, uh, you know, I mean, his foresight in the fact that government fairly quickly decided it was not in the business of pushing people towards railways, but anyway, it said... Uh, incorrectly, I mean, he predicted the right thing. He didn't predict the actual thing because, as we know, even the current government is currently uh, uh, driving modal shift towards roads, not away from roads. Uh, Freedom fuel duty being a key example. Uh, yeah, so so fine. Okay, okay. Uh, total social benefit. It might pay to run railways at a loss in order to prevent the incidence of an even greater cost, which could, uh, which would arise elsewhere if the railways were closed. Such other costs may be deemed to arise from congestion, provision of parking space, injury and death, additional road building, or a number of other causes. It is not thought that any of the firm proposals put forward in this report would be altered by the introduction of new factors for the purpose of judging overall social benefit. Well, that again, there's not any proper analysis into whether that's true. Only in the case of suburban services around some of the larger cities is there clear likelihood that a purely commercial decision within the existing framework of judgment would conflict with a decision based upon total social benefit. Therefore, in those instances, no firm proposals have been made, but attention has been drawn to the necessity for studying decision, which is, to be honest, with the information in front of them, fair enough. Long-term trends in the location of industry and population. No novel assumptions have been made about the future distribution of population industry in the country as a whole. Implicitly, it has been assumed that the pattern will continue to be basically similar to that which was, uh, exists at present, and that while there may be a continuation or reversal of existing trends, there is not likely to be any change so radical, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the trend towards concentration of industry and population in the southeast is unfavourable to the future of the mainline network of the railways, and it would be beneficial if it were to be reversed. Funnily enough, it did start reversing fairly soon after this. Uh, failure to suppose any reversal of the trend has not obviously been unreversed with uh, the new Labour years. Uh, actually, late Thatcher years. Failure to suppose any reversal of the trend has not, however, led to any proposal to modify mainline routes. The building of a channel tunnel will also have a favourable effect on the railways unless it greatly intensifies migration to the southeast. But here, again, the benefit will be to the mainline traffics and perhaps in particular to liner train types of service. This is a bit of foresight. The channel tunnel having freight liner stuff going through it. He's on it in that sense. Nothing prejudicial to future rail developments in connection with the channel link is proposed and liner train services will be planned with the tunnel in mind. Uh, provincial of industrial growth by withdrawal of railway services. The point has been made in the previous section that there is no proposal to weaken the mainline network within the country, so there will be no inhibition of a general relocation of industry and population as a result of the proposals put forward. It can be argued, however, that relocation on a smaller scale may be affected by closure of lightly used branches and extension of the mainline routes. Uh, the main routes. Yeah, that's definitely true. And indeed, he said this may conceivably be true, but it must be recognised that most of the lines to be closed have already been in existence for some 50 to 100 years, and their existence has not induced development so far, which is not an unreasonable leap, I have to say. Uh, 
Indeed, in most cases, the trend has been in the opposite direction. Therefore, in formulating proposals for line closures, uh, for line closure, all the railway regions have taken account of any developments which are sufficiently specific to be probable, uh, but have not been influenced by quite unsupported suggestions that something might happen someday. Which, again, you have to say, well, fair enough, you know, fair enough. Um, uh, Channel Tunnel keeps appearing. Yes, it does. They ex really did expect it to be happening very soon, Ella. Um, the cost of additional death is an interesting thing for Dr. Beeching to men mention. Well, yeah. Uh, he doesn't think up the stupid HGV shuttle, yeah. Uh, Beeching wasn't Moses, absolutely. It's not a shuttle, it's an abomination of waste of capacity. <laughs> they should be trashed. Ella's not a fan of the, uh, of the shuttle, apparently. Um, interesting, yeah. I, mm. Yeah, I'd be interested. We should chat about this, Al. Actually, that'd be uh, open a thread on the old di uh, Discord. Uh, right, summary of the report. So this this is the summary. So fine, we've 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 gone through the report. We've summarised it. So I think you get the general feeling. So the steps it proposes: discontinuance of many stop and passenger services, transfer of the modern multiple unit stock, displaced to continuing services, which are still steam locomotive hauled. So a bit of a, a cascade there. Closure of a high proportion of the total number of small stations to passenger traffic. Selective improvement of intercity passenger services and rationalisation of routes. Is in city damping down of seasonal peaks of tra passenger traffic and withdrawal of corridor coaching stock held for the purpose of covering them at present. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like get rid of holiday passengers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number six: coordination of suburban train and bus services and so coordination of train and bus services. He talked about that. Did that actually happen? In collaboration with municipal authorities, with the alternative of fear increases and possible closure of services. Um. Yeah, so that's sensible enough. Here we are. Uh, seven, coordination of passenger parcels with the post office. Yeah, that sounds sensible. Increase of block train movement by coal. So that's train... So this is essentially talking about uh, the the uh, merry-go-round services. Uh, inducing the National Coal Board to provide train loading facilities at collieries. Well, we talked about this in the freight thing, uh, freight episode. And in inducing the establishment of coal concentration depots. Yeah. Reduction of the uneconomic freight uh, traffic passing through small stations by closing them progressively, but with regard to the pre preservation of potentially good railway traffics and by adjustment to charges. Attraction of more siding uh, to siding traffic suitable for through train movement by operating such trains at the expense of the wagon forwarding system and by provision of timetable trains of special stop to meet customer requirements. Study and development of a network of liner train services to carry flows of traffic which, through, though dense, are composed of consignments too small in themselves to justify through train operation. 12. Concentration of freight sundries traffic upon about 100 main depots, many of them associated with liner train depots, and carriage of main flows of sundries on liner trains, probably coupled with passenger parcels and possibly post office parcels and letters. Interesting. Uh, rapid progressive withdrawal of freight wagons over the next three years. 14. Continued replacement of steam by diesel locomotives for mainline traction up to a probable requirement of, least, of at least uh, 3,750 to 4,250. Um, yes, yeah, so that's new locomotives required. Rationalisation of the composition and use of the railway's road cartage fleet. These various lines of action are strongly interdependent. If the whole plan is implemented with vigour, however, much, though not necessarily all, of the railway's deficits should be limited by 19, eliminated by 1970. Well... He didn't eliminate it, but he did. But by this, I have to say, by, you know, things started turning around. And this report was a major part in that happening. It really was. So let's have a look at appendices, the appendices. So these are the, the studies that, that there's a lot of. It's the traffic studies, the rail traffic studies. So we're going to whiz through. But you can see the data. There's there's graphs. There's, um, actually, what's that? Yeah, yeah, okay. So lots of, so these this data is fantastic, actually. It, the quality of it is, 
you know, the extensiveness is good. The quality is, is in some cases dubious, but you have to say it exists in a way that didn't, it certainly didn't exist before. So I'm just going to whiz through, through all these numbers. So, so there you go. So there's some general sort of discussion about different traffic types, uh, some statistical kind of capturing some statistical notes. Uh, I mean, our traffic not carried by rail. So there's a discussion, a consideration of, of uh, what wasn't happening by rail, which is, again, very interesting. And we'll show this in the maps because the maps show this quite neatly. That's Appendix 1. Appendix 2, this is the bit which... Uh, this is, Appendix 2 is the famous bit, by the way, because it's the, the stuff that gets blitzed. So, and you can see here, there's a discussion. There's a description in each one. So you can go through for each section. So we've got, you know, like Glen Eagles to Creef Comrie, Thetford to Swaffham. I'm not going to go through all of them. York, Hull, York, Beverly, this is one of the most stupid ones, but uh, you can understand why, and it goes through an explanation of why. Each of these has an explanation of why. Um, and uh, kind of as some examples, I, I believe. I think, I think yeah, some examples. Uh, they don't show it. Uh, they don't go into detail for each one, but they show some examples. And, yeah, so here are the examples. And then here we go. Here are the lists. Here are the famous lists of passenger services to be withdrawn, and you can see them here. Maybe I should just have a moment of silence. Actually, I should have got some nice music lined up, shouldn't I? Um, anyway, spicy time. Yeah, this is the spice. The spicy spice. Here we go. They are, and then passenger service line station closure section two. There you go. Passenger services. So these stations halls, st passenger stations and halts to be closed. They are the famous lists here. Uh, Betjeman read them out, didn't he? Uh, there we go. Look at them all. There are. Just have a moment to think about that. I mean, it is a radical alteration in the way Britain looked, and that's why Beecham gets cited so often because it was a, a fundamental, a huge change to the way Britain was, shifting Britain into the modern era. Um, then the Scottish ones, you know, massive numbers of stations being wiped out across Scotland, and Wales. Again, Scotland and Wales disproportionately impacted, of course. Uh, and then here are the considerations of these are withdraw withdrawals that are being planned already before the report was actually. Um, uh, sort of, you know, before the report was actually being formulated. Uh, and I think they bit, Beecham was generally like, well, pff, leave them, let those happen. Uh, it's interesting to see that's the, the south sub there, isn't it? Yeah, interesting. Um, lots of things there. Passenger service line and station closures. So these are already, these are all the ones that are already being considered for or are being closed right now. So you can see huge numbers. Rolling stock reduction, Appendix 3. So this is quite interesting. So this is a reduction in rolling stock, quite massive numbers. Um, here, so you see the data, there we are. Uh, appendix 4 is an explanation of the liner train. So this is, I'm not going to read through it, but it's interesting that this, this is an appendix here explaining the purpose. Having just read the box, where is it? Oh, it's up, uh, oh no, it's downstairs. Uh, the box, which I think I've waggled around, uh, well worth a read. And uh, it's very interesting to see this in really, and I'm probably going to read this in my own word for word, word by word, um, in, in, in the context of that. But actually British Rail was a was a, a pioneer of that in that sense and, and arguably pushed forward the case for a containerization um, the intermodal container uh, across the uh, across Europe actually because of how keenly British Rail picked it up and ran with it. Uh, there we go. So uh, there's some some stuff about costs and general conclusions. Um, so there we go. So that's the report. That's the, that's the first part of the report. The second part of the report which is the maps. It won't take very long to go through these. What time is it? Twenty twenty six. We're going to finish by half past. It's an hour and a half episode. It is grand. We're grand. Um, Oh, Dr. Beeching for the opening of this episode. Yeah, that could have been a thing. The thing is, that, yeah, Flanders and Swans, slow train is another option. Yeah, there are a few, but they're all coming up against licensing issues. Um, so the maps, obviously these 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 are pretty detailed and they've been nicely scanned, so uh, they're in, in better quality than the, the actual body of the report. So there's the density of passenger traffic, and you see a huge density in the approaches to London. 
density in around Cardiff. The West Coast Main Line is 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 kind of still quite a dense core. You see the northeast, then the, then then the, the Scottish Central Belt, and and then you can see the fine lines, the dashed lines, uh, of which there are plenty. Um, and it's interesting to sort of, yeah, to sort of look. You see all these dashed fine lines that you wouldn't have much of a railway left with you uh, if you just got rid of everything that just had this high density. But anyway, and then freight traffic, and you can see the two. Interestingly, you can see that freight traffic at this time is still hugely focused around the, the Midlands and the north, actually. Derbyshire, huge volume of freight traffic around there, and then a huge volume of freight traffic in the in South Wales, and a lot of that is because of coal. It's because of coal movements still. Uh, and again, the Central Belt uh, there. Now, this is interesting. British Railways distribution of freight uh, of passenger traffic station receipts. So there's these red, blue, and green is talking about this. So the red stations are all the ones that are just not to £5,000 per annum. Uh, and then the green ones are the ones that are making the big penny, uh, twenty five thousand plus. And you see, there are quite a few of the greens around. Um, it's interesting that there are greens. Yeah, there are a few green. Yeah, it's interesting seeing where there are greens. So you can see kind of where the logic of keeping Oxenholme, for example, and keeping some of the stations. You can start to see the picture emerge in uh, in that. And then uh, distribution of freight traffic, a similar thing for the for the kind of the stations. Actually, a hell of a lot. Of this is red because. Uh, freight just was it was lots of little bits to lots of places uh here's a nice diagram actually i'm going to escape this and just press Control l again because i've zoomed in and out uh here's a nice diagram showing uh flows of freight traffic that isn't coal favorable to rail but not on rail so there was an understanding of like you no know, we've, we've got options here we've got opportunities to to get get stuff off the roads and onto rail and we should we should grip them um and then uh likewise in some of the uh and this is interesting because so I was up at the coal station in Newcastle um, uh, a few weeks before uh, going on holiday, and what was interesting is that you could those were still being used until the the eighties, I think, or certainly the seventies. It's because there was a huge uh, flow of freight. Indeed, this is not uh, this is not uh, oh this is just coal. So that, there's your answer. It was a huge flow of coal freight from Newcastle into London into the southeast. Uh, yeah, so I, I just and this is then on uh, generally on you've got someone but a lot of this is still coal, so you've got coal f uh, canal flows, sorry canal flows still as well uh, inland. So it's quite interesting having that um, existing flows of freight sundries traffic. There you go. Okay, fine. Uh, and then the depot was proposed in the sundries plan. So we saw Sheffield. There's Sheffield, which we saw um, in the freight episode, right? Uh, so that's so you can see Sheffield there. And then the, the, this is the, the doom that we see. So all passenger services were drawn. You see all the black lines here are ones that have the line, that have, have lines that subsequently did or indeed did not disappear because um, it wasn't entirely enacted and some survived, etc., etc., etc. And then there are some that say all stopping passenger services were drawn but keep the railway running, uh, keep the railway in existence. What's interesting is that they are considering that on the... the, 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 the you know, they get rid of stopping services on very drastically reducing stopping service. It's just, that's a lot of, an awful lot of um, service reduction. And then you can see lots of the thick red lines are the ones that are remaining. Uh, this is a focus on London. So 9A is, is just looking at the withdrawal of services within the London area. So I, I don't know about you, but this line looks familiar to me as one that is uh, in use again, likewise. So this this looks like these, some of these look like very useful bits of railway. Um, yeah. Uh, so if, if if Simon's watching, you probably you might not be watching live, but Simon, if you pick this one up after the fact, yeah, I reckon some of these are on your patch, and you have a quite a passionate passion for some of these. Anyway, um, 
Uh, yeah, so what else? Modification of passenger train services, Modi modification of services. Well, this, this is just saying, I don't exactly know what the point of this map is. It's referenced in the body of the report, of course, but you can see basically, I presume, reducing stopping services and generally altering things a bit. Um, and then this is the Freightliner routes. So these are the routes, the Freightliner routes. They don't show the the connection to the, the, the tunnel, but they are showing the kind of the connections there under consideration, it says. Um, and then this is the interesting one that I was talking about earlier. This is the saturation of bus services. You can see why some of the conclusions were made because there is a, an absolutely exhaustive bus network by this point in a lot of places. You look across Wales, mid Wales is tough territory at this point. The roads were not as good even then, and it's yet the, the, there is decent bus saturation already. You just look at it, impressive. It's only really in Scotland, and then again in the northeast, lots of buses. So you can see why this northeast, which was obliterated in terms of railways, um, why there was a consideration that that could happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to to look at that map, and that's the last map. That's it. That is the last map. Um, uh, no, Broad Street's gone. Uh, so what else is happening uh, under here? Hello, Goblin. Broad Street got uh, did get oofed. Yeah, it did get oofed. It's very true. So uh, let's go. Uh, well, firstly, we're going to go back to the slides. So we looked at the report. Um, and this is what I wanted to bring up. Right. So, yes, we've seen that the, the network was shrunk quite substantially. But the point, the, the network is rubbish. It was still rubbish. Um, we're going to look, we, by the way, we are going to go back and look at uh, this report. We will do a page turn of it. I'm a big fan of this report. I think it's a really good report, actually. So there's a lot of really useful things. Um, so I, what I wanted to point out by putting this map up isn't, oh, look how small the network got, but more, the network is stupid. It's a really stupid our railway network is really weird. It's really stupid. Um, and this was an attempt. The, 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 these reports from the early 60s were an attempt to turn it into something useful for the modern era. And not everything was got right. And there are lots of closures that, that in the, with the benefit of hindsight, we think are stupid. Um, and the methodologies might not have been perfect. But I'm vigorously of the belief that actually the, the report itself is, um, is, a good, is a good document. It's a positive document. Call me crazy. Uh, Her Majesty's Stationery Office. What a name! Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, but if you want, a, if you do want a bad guy, the bad guy continues to be. And as I said this last time, let's get rid of my face because I'm blocking off. Um, I'm blocking off himself. Oh, here we are, no face. There he is. Uh, right. These are the bad guys. The people who, the successive transport ministers who have, um, who who enacted, uh, who made the closures, who who suggested clo more closures than were necessary, who didn't defend the railways, who put in policies that have penalized railways who've put in policies that have you know who've built roads who have generally had no foresight these are the baddies these are the and ultimately these are the people we put in power we've elected these people into power so um we cannot you know beaching is not to blame for this stuff at all uh let's get my miniaturized face back so i made that point before right if you want the baddies those are the baddies so ultimately stop referencing beaching stop referencing beaching um with some caveats because <laughs> you can reference beaching if you're specifically referencing some of the interesting stuff that he did in relation to freight in relation to the corporate identity manual behind me you know turning the railways into a professional outfit <clears throat> i uh yeah uh people point out how many men there are there yeah it's really it's a pretty shocking state of affairs you've got barbara castle you've got um I've already forgotten. Utterly forgettable. <clears throat> and then also uh, a, a new Labour utterly forgettable as well, I'm afraid. 
Uh, everyone's going to tell me off for not remembering the names. It's fine. So, so stop referencing Beeching unless you're doing so in the context of these reports and what was kind of what was uh, done for the future. Beeching was the only person who dis who attempted to tackle the question: What are the railways for? Um, Ella, you're allowed. This is it. This is what the asterisk is for, Ella. The asterisk. Here you are, Ruth Kelly. Thank you, Pete Johnson. Thank you. Um, and um, and Justin Greening, right? Justin Greening is the name of the uh, of yeah, it's Justin Greening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we are. So it's allowed. It's allowed. Ruth Kelly is the is a new person, and uh, yes, there we are. The asterisk is there to saying you're allowed to reference beaching if you're doing so, as part of actually looking at the report and referring to specific parts within it. Any questions? Uh, oh, my back is ruined. Uh, Moses and Nixon is blamable for Amtrak's deficiencies, train hopper. Yeah, probably. Um, actually, I think generally I've been keeping on top of uh, re responding uh, to to some of the comments in there. People have been adding me in. Hello, everyone. Um, Who's, who's been atting me and we've got uh, we've got about 70 people watching hello 70 people watching uh yeah oh by the way uh, to all of you watching i hope those of you certainly the regulars but those of you watching um uh enjoyed uh enjoyed the pre-records uh do send your feedback on those they were particularly the hs2 one was um required some some editing not quite as much editing as uh, the real live episode but yeah and also let me know thoughts on the um on the museum runaround episode because it was a bit trying something a bit different uh, okay i had a bit of a mic failure for, for 20 minutes in the middle of the episode but it's, it wasn't too bad hopefully um yeah let me know your thoughts on those feedback always welcome particularly from you patreon folks because you you pay me so i have to vaguely listen to you um yeah send send chat on the discord for those um so there is a question which is uh ella i've already addressed yours david shepherd is saying how much was beaching on the money with the idea of railway closures causing additional deaths uh what <laughs> He was talking about. I think he was just generally talking about health. I I I don't know. I'd, I'd have to. It's a, it's a it's a big question. And I'm not sure. Uh, do I think connecting coaches are a good idea? I don't know, uh, connecting coaches. Do you mean like buses? Uh, I think I think integrated bus services that are with the same tickets is a good idea. Yeah. Um. Uh. Let's see. Um. Big question. What if beaching never happened? Oh God. Should we do another APT? What if episode about if beaching never happened? That's maybe one. Ella, it's one you and I can explore. You and I can do an episode on that. Maybe that that could be interesting. If you're particularly if you're digging on it at the moment. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, given that it's seven minutes past, thirty-seven minutes beyond the hour. I don't want this to be a huge one. Uh, I'm going to whiz back to my gone face. My face is gone, and I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's available in podcast audio only form. Thanks to those listening. Uh, I yeah. Feedback always welcome. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, interesting. So, we do have some other questions. I'll answer these two questions and stop sending questions. Uh, Xander asks, how would you have taken the social impact into account if you were in beaching shoes? Well, this is partly what I say. Like, there weren't any particular... Like, government needs to really steer what the measures are for that sort of a thing. Um, and also... Uh, I'm not going to answer the any bits I'd reopen. Uh, HST trains, I'd reopen zero bits. I'm, I do not... Reopenings are bad. Uh, see also previous episodes. Um, let's see... Uh, oh, Graham. Graham Howarth. Uh, do I agree that Adonis was about the best of them? Ooh. Mm. Adonis also didn't start stuff off. He didn't enact electrification. He didn't do loads of things. So I don't think so. I think they're... Hmm... <sighs> Mm, yeah, mm. jury's out on that 
Uh, jury's out on that, I have to say. Right, anyway, sorry, what was I saying? I was saying no fate, no more questions uh, until the end, right. Uh, yeah, audio-only format. Uh, Patreon, Discord, PayPal. Uh, support me on Patreon and, and PayPal if you if you can. Do join the collection of subscribers. Please do welcome. Uh, please do come along. Um, and uh, and the Discord is where all the chat happens. It's, it's kind of like the sidebar, but more. Uh, there's a rationalisation on the th subject of it. We're going to be cutting loads of channels. Uh, just rearranging it basically to make it a bit neater and tidier now that threads become a killer thing. Uh, what else? Oh yes, uh, search uh, railway family prize draw uh, because Heather Watt, Heather, uh, where, where, Heather, Heather, where are you? You're, you're in there, Heather. I know you, you might be watching. Um, lots and lots of exciting prizes that you can go that you can go for. Um, uh, lots of yeah, like behind the scenes tours, uh, helicopter tours oh my goodness so many exciting things the simulator lots of very cool things on this list um that you can go and bid for and all of this is raising uh is raising uh it's raising cash for very good causes so you should go and search it so search railway family prize draw uh shout out to heather wall hi heather um next thing well this is a plug for a very very beautiful book which we're going to be talking about in a future episode i'm just going to go big face briefly Oh, it's out of reach, but it's over. It's over. Oh, you can see it. You can see it. In the, there, there it is. This book here. It's very beautiful. And um, if I get rid of my face again, Chris is going to come and join us in a, few, in a, in a very soon in a future episode talking with a really cool uh, episode theme. But that book, I cannot recommend it enough. It's um, competitively priced and very beautiful. Go, go buy it. It's nice. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, support the Royal Museum. Support Chris. Uh, it's Thames, Thames and Hudson publication. Um, and it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. You open, uh, it's just, it's, it's, oh my goodness me, it's stunning. Very, very stunning. Um, go look at it. And talking of books, Gary's book. Uh, the Gary's book, only book number two in physical form, and also the sixth digital edition, um, is available for purchase and download, but but specifically purchase. You can buy the physical version. Go and support his um his uh is it just is it fund i can't remember which website it's through but anyway go it's the f just just what what are the websites that support things go it's not a go fund me it's the just giving i ah, anyway go f gary's twitter and you can uh you can support the book and, and pre-order your copy and you can get if you spend five quid extra for for reasons you, he'll he'll sign it for you he'll give you a custom signature because uh yeah he's a babe so uh, and we're getting Gary on to talk about in, in, a, in a couple of episodes. I think Gary's come to join us. Uh, and Archer's did a cool new cover illustration, which means two things. It means number one that um, my old edition is redundant, so maybe I need to turn that into a, a, a something for you all to win. Number two, or you know, I don't know, I'll give it away for free to one of you for for reasons. Uh, number two is that yeah, I have to buy a new one again. So um, there we go. Kickstarter, thanks, Ella. Um. Uh, Oh, it's pronounced Arter. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Ella. I didn't know that. Thanks. Uh, oh, there you are. Sorry, Arter. Right. Uh, what else? Oh, the next episode is going to be a fun one. Uh, why is there no HS1, HS2 link? And how should it look if there was? This should be an interesting one because we're going to talk about some history things. Uh, yes. Also, if I get um, if I get my large, if I return my large face to your screen. So that's that's next week, by the way. Yeah. Why is there? It's, uh, there'll probably be HS2 questions, right? Also, behind me, you might notice something novelty behind me. What's this? These are coming. These are coming, folks. The the masks are coming. They they've got rail natter. They're uh, rail natter in the bottom corner here. There you can see. I don't know what side my face is. Uh, I I might suggest the rail natter goes at the top actually because I think it stretches stretches out. Which side? This side here. Anyway, 
Uh, more contrast in this. This is, it's a mock-up. Um, maybe send that with the, with Gary's. Send that through with Gary's book if anyone wants it. Anyway, uh, they're coming. They're coming. There's a mug coming as well. Uh, it's a thing. It's a thing. I'm looking forward to you all having them. Thanks for joining, everyone. This is Mild Chaos. Uh, oh, good grief. It's an hour and three quarters. Anyway, it happened. I'm so hungry. I haven't had any food. It's a calamity from top to bottom, I tell you. Right. Uh, I will see you all next week for another live episode. Uh, back to doing live episodes. This one wasn't at all disaster. It took a bit longer than planned, but anyway. Uh, go download the the the, the um, reports from the Railways Archive if you want to flick through them yourself. That's what I strongly recommend. Um, everyone, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, there's a mug as well coming, which I don't have a mock-up of, but there's a picture of it in the in the Discord for those of you who are on uh, Patreon supporters. Go and have a look. Uh, you'll get first dibs and possible discounts. I, I'm working on that. Anyway, right, enough of me waffling. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio! Cheerio! <laughs>